Okay, hi everybody. I am Elizabeth Magazine and I am back here on Balance in the Bar and so excited because my guest today is Michael McCready from the McCready Law Firm in downtown Chicago, a very large Illinois firm. He's been a friend for years and I'm just so excited to welcome you here. How are you, Michael? Yeah, thanks, Liz. Great to see you, even if it is just virtually. Yes. So one of the things about um, your firm, I wanted you to just kind of give us a little brief overview of when you started, you know, how many people you had when you started and, and what you've built. Because as everybody on this watching this who's seen my uh, journey knows, I work with all the top firms in the country over the past two decades. And of all the different firms I've worked with, I would say if I had to give an award to the attorney who knows how to run the best business, and we talk about this a lot, sometimes the best lawyers are not the best business people. Michael McCready, Mike McCready would win the award for the best businessman. Mm -hmm. He knows how to work on his business and not always having to be in the business and run an amazing firm with great culture. And culture is something I also want to talk about because I know that's something I remember you teaching me when I was running my business is how to incentivize employees right. in different ways. Um, so if you could just give us a brief overview of, you know, when you started the firm and how big it is now, and that would be helpful. Yeah, sure. So um, next year, if you can believe it, is going to be my 25th anniversary of starting the firm. Wow. Uh, I can't believe uh, it's been 25 years. But, um, you know, over the years, I've looked back at, at, at how my firm has grown and, and, I, and I've had certain distinct phases. OK, so when I started my firm, it was literally just myself. Um, and the first thing you need to do is you need to be a good lawyer. Right. There's no substitute. You need to know what you're doing. Uh, and that's usually the easiest. And part. you've got Everybody that. Down, knows how so to we don't have to worry about that. Um, one. The second th skill that you need to develop is um, you need to be good with clients. And that's an entirely different skill set. I mean, we all know, you know, great lawyers who are terrible with clients. And we also know some very successful lawyers who are great with clients that are just not good lawyers. Uh, so separate skill set. Uh, first, be a good lawyer. Second, learn how to be with, uh, deal with clients. The third is how to run a business and, and start small. I mean, you need to know how to have a profit and loss sheet and, and a checking account and income and revenue and expenses. Um, the next step in my growth and what really turbocharged my practice is I learned about marketing because you could be the best lawyer. You could be great with clients. You could have a great business set up. But if you don't have clients, you don't have anything. Um, and once again, generating clients is another skill. Uh, there are some lawyers, that's all they do. You know, they don't yeah, practice law, they just generate business. Just to give some perspective to the listeners, tell us right now, how many attorneys do you have and how much support staff do you have now? Yeah, so we're at, um, we're at 10 attorneys uh, and a staff of 40. Um, seven of those uh, are international team members, but they're just as part of our firm as, uh, as our domestic. But um, yeah, that's, that's where we've grown to today. Okay. It's very impressive. I mean, in the PI space, I would say you're probably one of the larger firms. Yeah, in, in, in Chicago. And, and listen, it, that's been the trend in the industry is uh, firms either consolidating or getting larger or niching down and becoming boutique. 
Um, I think the days of the general practice PI attorney of one, two, three attorneys uh, is going to have a really hard time in the future. You've either got these large firms um, and these firms that do lots and lots of, uh, of mass market advertising, or you've got really specialty niche attorneys, you know, like a MedMal attorney or, um, you know, somebody who specializes in some very, very narrow area. You know, I, 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 I would have a hard time starting my practice today, uh, given the way the PI field has uh, has developed over the last couple of years. Yeah, and also, I feel like with marketing, the way marketing has pivoted over the years, that's also been something that you've kind of kept abreast of is the way that you market, the way you pivot, the way you're using um, different types of marketing, and then also surrounding yourself with a team. And I want to talk a little bit about that. It's not like you just said, okay, I'm going to be this great businessman. You actually went out and got consultants and support to learn the skills. So for you attorneys out there who are saying, well, maybe Michael McCready is just this amazing businessman. I'm going to tell you that he's worked at this. This isn't something that we learn in law school, obviously, how to run a business. He has surrounded himself with experts. He doesn't profess to be, you know, the one that knows it all, but he puts experts around him that put the tools in place. And I know that's been important to you as well is tracking the leads, how you work with employees. And I want to talk a little bit about that. So first thing I want to talk about is culture. Because I remember that you told me something that was really interesting about learning that one of your employees wasn't motivated. Like back in the day, I felt like all employees would be motivated just to make a raise and give them some extra money. But what we've learned, you know, is that that's really not always the case. And if you don't mind talking a little bit about how you incentivize and reward your employees, that was something that really resonated with me. Yeah, you know, and um, and that's what I really focused on the last five years or so is being the managing partner and uh, and working on the firm culture. Uh, you can't underestimate mm -hmm. that a a motivated employee, a motivated team member uh, is going to be so much more productive uh, and, and happier. You know, I want everybody on my team to love what they do as much as I love what I do. I don't want anybody coming to the office uh, and feeling like it's just a job, it's just a paycheck. You know, what, what can you do as a leader uh, that encourages people um, to, to be a part of the team? You know, PI attorneys in general tend to be very, very egocentric. It's all me, 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 me. So PI attorneys tend to be very, very egocentric. And... Um, you have to make it that it's much more about you as an individual. It's about the firm. And, uh, and that's where culture comes in. And that's where a leader can really make a big difference. Yeah. You know, it's so funny that you're saying that because that's a big part of um, in marketing in general, the concept is story branding. But a lot of times the story is the attorneys want to tell their own story, but that's not the hero. The hero is really the client, right? And you, the lawyer, yes. in, in true story branding, the attorney is the guide that gets that main character who is your client to the finish line, right? Each client is so unique and different. And if you, the attorney, look at yourself like it's my show, that's not always beneficial for your client. And I do feel like in the most successful firms, 
you find the lawyers that are the most compassionate about helping guide that client to a good resolution. And I know that that's something that you pride yourself on. Yeah, it, I, I agree. I agree. And but from from growing my firm, um, you know, is is we, we hire for culture. We hire people that are going to fit in with the team that we have assembled. Um, um, and 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 we've passed on some very, very highly skilled and talented um, people from attorneys all the way down to receptionists because it just wasn't going to be a good fit within our culture. Um, so what do I mean by fit? Uh, you know, when my firm was, uh, was smaller, I used to say, hey, we're a family, right? This firm is a family. Um, and I changed that metaphor uh, because in every family, you've got crazy Uncle Al and you can't get rid of him because he's family. And, um, and, and, and we changed the metaphor is that we are a team. Okay. Everybody on the team has got a role to play. And we all rely on each other to do their role. And if somebody is not fulfilling that role, it affects other team members. And we don't want to let anybody down. One of our firm values is accountability and support. Um, you know, we, we, we each are held accountable. We hold ourselves accountable, but we're accountable to each other. And, um, and, and so when we're hiring, we're looking for people that will fit in with that type of culture that we have. We don't want lone wolves. Okay? We are a team and, and, and we want to, people to continue to grow. We want to have them uh, uh, learn and, uh, and expand their career and their professional development. All those things are important to us. When so we're that to bring that somebody you onto the have regular business rhythms with your team, individual members, and with teams, groups. Um, is that something that you believe in? Because I know there's this big theory like meetings versus not meet, you know, not having the meetings regularly. I'm a big fan of business rhythms in running a company, and I want to know your opinion on that. You know, that's interesting because that has been something that we have struggled with. Um, you know, all the all the top business books talk about a, a morning huddle and a rhythm and these meetings. And, and, and we really have never been able to wrap our arms around it. Now, I'm not saying we don't have meetings, uh, but my firm is structured in a linear fashion, not in a pod fashion. Right. So some some PI firms will have pods. I think that those uh, type of uh, structures lend themselves to meetings, but you know our meetings are all of our case managers get together, and one of the attorneys will present to them about the anatomy or you know what what's an epidural steroid injection and why are our clients getting them or why is a doctor recommending them? Right. So, so that's, that's a, a meeting. That's you know, regu our, yeah, regular education, right? Um, you know, to me, that's about like regularly educating the team members. And I don't think that's done enough in a lot of firms and things are always changing. And so do you lead that or do you have somebody internally that does that? Well, it depends. It depends. Like I said, so we have uh, we have positions. So we've got an intake department and the intake department, um, you know, handles all that stuff uh, uh you know, every, anything intake related is going to be at an intake meeting. Uh, we have our paralegals only handle litigation. So, you know, we'll have a meeting with the litigation paralegals dealing with 
you know, some new case that came down. Uh, so it's a little bit different. Um, the other, the other thing, the other reason why we don't necessarily have productivity meetings uh, very frequently is um, we keep track of metrics on absolutely everything. Every position has got their own KPIs, key performance indicators. Um, and having run a firm for so long, I know what a productive case manager should be able to do in a week. I know what a productive intake specialist can do in a week. Um, and we track all of that. And we have, uh, we have goals for each of the team members. And every week they fill out their scorecard. So on a weekly basis, each of our team members knows exactly where they stand in terms of uh, what the expectations are and whether they're meeting expectations or, or, or not meeting expectations. So a lot of those you know, supervisor type meetings we've eliminated because you know, we're, we're doing it weekly uh, and we don't necessarily have to have a meeting. Well, so this is so interesting because I'm going to tell you, and I could be wrong, but I'm going to tell you from talking to enough attorneys that run businesses out there that you are an anomaly. So few personal injury attorneys who run their own firms, and you probably know from talking to them at ITLA meetings or conferences, mm -hmm. do anything yeah. like yeah. this. Many of them will say, hey, we're going to try this this month. We're going to do a huddle. We're going to have a meeting. We're going to have goals. And it just falls to the wayside. And so if I had to say, like, you know, looking at the most successful firms and how the ones that have been able to scale, you're really at the top because of the discipline. I think it comes down to, you know, trying it out and then keeping those analytics and then doing it over and over again, repeatable processes and creating those. It's what is a business or success? It's people, process, right? Procedures. And that's what yep. sets and successful business apart from a non-successful business. And it is so challenging for attorneys out there. So let me ask your advice. If I am, you know, all the young lawyers out there that are trying, that want to maybe leave and start their own firms and they hear you talking and they're like, oh my goodness, well, this guy's built this crazy business. I could never do that. Or maybe they could. Is it obtainable? Is it possible? And how would you start out in today's day? And you've built these things over, you know, over decades. But how would somebody try to start out now? Like, what should they do to get started? Well, the, the, the best time the best time to start is today. Okay, so even if you're starting from scratch, the oh, the, I forget who said it. The best time to plant a tree is today, right? You know, you can't go back and do it in the past. So. Um, Business is run by data, and data allows you to make intelligent decisions. So you have to start somewhere keeping track of data. Where I started 25 years ago was tracking where my cases came from and what settlements that I got. So where, where were my cases coming from and then where were my best settlements coming from? So I could focus my energies on developing those avenues of business. Did it once a month, right? I mean, I don't remember. I might have settled two or three or four cases in a month when I first started, but I tracked all of that. Where, right. where are my leads coming from and where are my cases coming from? Yeah, I mean, yeah, the exactly. Just on an Excel yeah. spreadsheet. And then I think nowadays where um, there's so many tools, there's so many technology tools that attorneys can use through like a file line or some type of CRM, 
to keep track of metrics and data, you know, th that's easy for them, you know, and you could start with a small one and then build on that from there. Right. I mean, I, I can't I can't see the practice of law across the board without a case management system. I really can't. So listen, you, you've got the Microsoft suite of products. You've got the Google suite of products. That's all well and good. You've got a calendar. You've got your documents. Um, but to be to really to grow a firm, you need the technology that a case management system will uh, provide. So in the PI field, you know, I, I use Smart Advocate. You know, I love Smart Advocate. You've got Filevine. You've got Litify. You've got a few other smaller players. But, you know, I, I think that's essential. All of those case management systems are going to give you uh, reports, you know, whether you know it or not. They, they're going to track that data for you. But start, start with a few reports, start monitoring a few things, um, and then add a few here and there and, um, and really pay attention to them. Uh, you know, like I said, the easiest, the first place to start is intake and settlements. Uh, but once you get a handle on that, then you start looking at productivity, right? How many, um, how many cases, how many cases uh, can an attorney handle, right? Caseload. How many cases should a case manager handle before you handle and before you have to hire another one? You don't want to burn your staff out, but you don't want to hire too quickly. Yeah. Have so you these read are all things Morris's that you book? should be able to get. You should be able to get from your case management system. Um, have you read Mike uh, Morris's book, Fireproof? I'm assuming probably you've seen it. Of course. As so I think you should write Yeah, of course, of course. I'm going to come right out and tell you that people out there, they need you right now. And I think you should, you know, speak in front of groups. In fact, I'm looking to maybe put a conference together. You're going to be my number one speaker about the business of running a firm. It is the data and how important it is, the culture, how important that is. You need to do this because you've got so many skills that so many people really need right now and they need your voice out there. Um, the other thing that I'm, I'm focusing a lot in my firm, I'm focusing a lot on my firm right now is the client experience. Okay. Um, you have to understand is that the clients don't know whether you're a good law firm or not. They don't have that perspective. You're probably the first time that they've ever been in an accident. Um, they don't know that lawyers are terrible at communicating, that lawyers don't return phone calls. Um, so what they're used to is the customer service that you get at Amazon or at Target or Starbucks. And so um, these are all things that any lawyer can do to implement, to, uh, to improve the client experience. At the end of the case, I want my client being, you know, whatever the result was, I want them being happy with the fact that we represented them. So think about all the little things that you can do in the lifespan of the client uh, client's case that can improve the client experience. Um, because a happy client is going to refer clients to you. They're going to become your raving fans. Um, and, a, and a good portion of our cases come from current and past clients. So that that's right. something I would really recommend people focusing on. I mean, on. it's so important that client journey. And I know with, um, you know, authentic my company, we're in marketing and we're always talking about doing, you know, videos, wishing the clients happy birthday where they get an email and they open it up and there you are saying, 
happy birthday, John. I hope you're having a great day. It's like you may not reach them on the phone, but ways that you can touch the client throughout the process with more personalized service. And even in a big firm, like you could pre-record, like we talked about some videos and make sure you're educating them along the way. And that's gonna help. And I tell the firms this all the time. They're always like, well, the clients are calling, they're calling and they're blowing up our phone. They're calling all the time because they haven't been educated properly. Right. That is a big key factor. Absolutely. And if you just, if you're proactive in that education piece, you're going to avoid all the problematic calls throughout the process. Yeah, I'm going to, this is, I, I do a whole presentation on this, but I will isolate one little area. Okay. So, um, you settle a case and you tell the client the check's going to be there in 30 days. Okay. Seven days later, the client calls, is my check there? Calls the next day. No, we'll tell you when it's here. They call the next day. They call the next day. So we disperse on 70 to 80 cases a month. Um, even if one client calls once, that's 70 calls asking for the status of their check. That's bad. We don't want that. So that's the problem. What did we do? So we we created an automated sequence that when the when the release gets mailed to the adjuster, a text automatically goes out to the client that says, hey, we mailed the release. It's usually here within 30 days. Uh, we will let you know as soon as we hear anything. Seven days. Hey, we mailed it a week ago. It's not overdue. We'll let you know. Ten days. Hey, just letting you know it's still not here yet. Fourteen days. We called the adjuster and left a voicemail to check on the status of your uh, check. 17 days. Hey, check hasn't come yet. The mail hasn't arrived yet, but we'll call you as soon as it comes in. 20, we, have, we have 10 That's texts brilliant. that go out to every client brilliant. over 30 days telling them the status of the case. I love that. Right? There you go. And, this and, 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 take and, notes, everybody. And, and it hasn't, 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 cut down, hasn't cut down on every call but it's cut down on 90% of our calls asking for the status wow. of our check. And the clients love it. Client experience, right? Client experience. That is brilliant. And I want that in the book that you're going to write, Michael, that we're going to get out to everybody. I will promote that book. I want to read it. I want here's, everyone. Here's, here's one more hack, okay? Because I love the fact we've got videos that go out too. We do a happy birthday video and we do what's a deposition video, a couple others. But we also have an automated email video that goes out on the one year anniversary of settling the case. And it's a video that from me and it says, hey, remember me? We settled your case a year ago. Can you believe it's been a year? We just wanted to let you know that we're still here. And if you ever need us, feel free to reach out. All right. One oh. year after the case settles. And I guarantee easy, easy to do. You get so much traction from that database of people that say, I really had that good experience with Mike McCready's firm. And even though maybe they never even met you in person, they had that personal experience and they had a positive journey and it ends up in a referral every time. You know, it's funny because my husband is, you know, most of you all know is also a personal injury attorney and I get super frustrated with him because he's constantly on his phone, texting people, in Facebook messaging, it doesn't end. And 90% of the time when I'll be like, what was that? It's the most obscure situation. It was a former client who was having a problem with her landlord and she doesn't know what to do. 
And I just, he gets on the phone, he writes a letter, helps with all of this, and it just doesn't end. And then sure enough, I get frustrated, but then sure enough, then ends up someone they know is in an accident and they all think of him. So these little personal touches, they really matter. They really matter. Um, all right, um, well, I on will, our last um, note- one you're, you're right, you're right. But as my firm has grown, um, I have um, I have changed. Uh, I have changed my philosophy a little bit. So uh, I would say that 95% of PI attorneys out there will say, "Oh, I'm going to take this crap case because that client. If I don't take it, you know, he won't refer the next big case to me." Okay? No, we don't take crap cases because we will lose money on that crap case. The client is not going to be happy when we get a bad result from them. You can't count on the fact that A, they'll have another case, B, that they'll call you or remember you. So, so we don't do that. We tell them right off the bat is, you know, you've got a case. We specialize in cases that, you know, are, are larger value. Okay. There's probably a lawyer out there for you. Maybe we can refer you somewhere, but, you know, we're, we, we specialize in making large recoveries. And, and no. we're upfront with the client. We will turn those cases yeah. down. Being For example, somebody and, will and, call and say, hey, and I, was in a, I was in a car wreck. And uh, six months ago, I went to the doctor and I went to the chiropractor for six months. Um, and now I'm done and I want a lawyer to settle my case. You know, we're probably going to decline that case because all it is is a chiropractic only case. It's got, you know, 5,000 in medical. The case is never going to be more worth more than ten thousand, if if that, um, and we will lose money on that. And so we'll get a, give advice to the client right. and decline that case. And um, you know, and it's worked out well for us. It has it has created the um, the reputation that we handle big cases. Okay, right. we haven't I, lost I, out. Yeah, on I love that. Uh, I'm so a, it's, a, it's just a different mindset and a different way. We have handled our, our, our business and growing the firm. Yeah, for some reason, this this connection, I'm hoping that when we finish this, it's all going to come through properly, but I'm getting like a, a funny connection. But I want to finish this up because we're almost at 30 minutes with how do you find balance and you run this big firm, you've got a busy life. What is it that you do in your life to create balance and share that with us um, and we can end on that? A uh, nice bottle of bourbon? No, I'm kidding. Um, no, but, uh, listen, that bourbon balance. is a hobby, um, right? You know, I've got uh, I, I've got I've got six wonderful kids. Um, I've got a wonderful wife. Um, I love to travel. Um, in in my spare time, I, I enjoy wine, and in fact, I've uh, I'm a wine educator, so I'll hold wine tasting classes. Um, yeah, just uh, just uh, you know, in, in, enjoy life in general, and and make sure that the practice does well because the practice is what allows me to do all the things that I enjoy in my personal life. Perfect. Well, listen, the next time we do a podcast, we could do a little wine tasting together. How much fun would that be? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. So I'm on a uh, you know some boards of directors and you know, get asked for charitable contributions and such. So what I've started doing is um, offering my services for a private wine tasting for charities. 
right? Wow. And it's it's been really good. We've we've had people, you know, donate a couple thousand dollars for uh, you know a, a wine tasting for ten and ten or for ten of their friends, and and I host it, and I get a lot out of it. The organizations get a lot out of it, and you know, it's really good advertising and marketing, right? Here's a lawyer that's giving back to charities and and doing so by uh, by holding wine tastings. So yeah. it's uh, it's it's I, been a I nice uh, nice way to tie up a lot of things. No, I love that giving back. It's all about giving back. What comes to you, in my experience, is how much you put out there. It will come back tenfold. And I've seen that in my life. And and I've appreciated your friendship and working with you for decades. And I'm just really, you know, you know how impressed I've always been in the way that you run your business and the way that you conduct your life. So thank you for being with us. And um you know, I'm going to end it on that and we'll do this again because you have a lot to talk about and I want to get it out there and help educate. Yeah, thanks the... for having me, Liz. It's always good to touch base. And, you know, you and I have these conversations over the years just as friends, right? This is just two friends talking about their passion of law and, and of life and what they're doing to be successful. So, you know, to be able to do it uh, on this uh, on this podcast or if, if, it, if people get any kind of uh, inspiration or any value out of it, then it's just uh, two old friends talking together, right? Yeah. No, I love that. And I appreciate you. And um, thank you so much.